As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I've found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce the Plus CBD Relief line of soft gels. Plus CBD Relief is the ideal way to help promote a healthy inflammatory response. Plus CBD Relief is doctor-formulated with recovery-supporting ingredients, including CBD, CBDA, and Levagen plus PEA. Relief soft gels help address minor everyday soreness, support joint function, and encourage recovery following strenuous activity. All Plus CBD products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. And with a 90-day satisfaction guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's Relief Soft Gels. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, a podcast I've been very much looking forward to because today we're going to talk to Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, who's the co-author of The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. Uh, he is an internist, uh, cardiologist, and epidemiologist uh, who has been in the trenches of fighting COVID uh, using innovative techniques to help patients, uh, and yet uh, he has been stigmatized uh, and marginalized for his views. And uh, in particular... Uh, he has expressed some degree of vaccine skepticism, which I think uh, these days is anathema to the powers that be. So uh, what's your take, especially in view of the developments with Omicron? Well, I can tell you, I think that the, the uh, words used are important. Someone stigmatized and marginalized is not the lead witness in the Senate twice. Mm-hmm. That can't be me. It just can't be. I've been the lead witness in the Senate twice, bringing critical information to America. I co-moderated the, the January 24th session. I'm one of the most frequently invited media guests on every major media platform, a social media platform uh, right now, including this one. And I've testified at multiple state senates. I can't be stigmatized and marginalized if I'm playing such an important role. Those two, that, that, that's, those, that's incongruous. Well, let me be clear. In, in my mind, uh, you're a medical hero for standing up for beliefs and bucking what is a very, very unfortunate narrative or consensus that has led us astray about COVID. So what I'm telling you is even the perception of being controversial or stigmatized or marginalized is a fabricated one. It's not real. It's fabricated. And as far as I can tell, it's fabricated, I think, through social media operatives or through some type of government operation. But it's, but it's not real. It's not real. It can't be. If I was marginalized, people wouldn't want to have my opinion as a witness in the Senate. No one would care. Marginalized people don't get asked to be on national TV you know, hundreds of times. That's not what marginalized people do. So I think the words are really, really important. And you're right, the vaccines have been uh, a subject again. The vaccines themselves are controversial, <coughs> not my views. Why are the vaccines controversial? All the vaccines are genetic products. 
We've never used genetic products on a wide scale in medicine. In cardiology, I can use two genetic products. I can use uh, Enclinzeran and I can use Petirosan, which are small interfering uh, RNA products. And the concept, the controversial concept, is to take the genetic code generated and derived in a biosecurity level four lab in Wuhan, China, through United States research done by the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and other organizations. Take that genetic code and then make it into messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA, and we'll focus on messenger RNA since that's what our main product is. Put synthetic nucleoside analog caps on the end, humanize it so it can be read by human ribosome, and then load it on lipid nanoparticles, and then give it as an intramuscular injection. That's controversial. Mm -hmm. Very. It's, it's controversial. a totally novel technology, untested yet mainstreamed at warp speed. That's the appropriate word. With minimal yeah, testing. But it's, it's more. It's, but it's more than. It's more important than this. It's more than just being novel and untested. This is this is what I'm describing. The lipid nanoparticles in an article by Huang and colleagues, and there's been many more, but in 2018, notice I'll cite the literature. They go everywhere in the body. They go to the brain. They go to the adrenal glands. <laughs> they hyper-concentrate in the reproductive organs. So this isn't just novel. This isn't just untested. This is actually a bad idea. <laughs> we would never give a vaccine that goes up into the brain. Never. Because vaccines are or are designed to cause a immune reaction, to actually cause some degree of inflammation. They all do. That's just the lipid nanoparticles. Now, when we take the genetic material and we have the genetic material go into cells and take over cellular machinery to produce an abnormal protein, that's never been done in the history of medicine. That's more than novel and untested. That is controversial. I would say that's wildly controversial to even entertain it. Mm -hmm. Then to find out that Excuse me, I, I think that lay people, uh, that's a very important point. I think that lay people don't recognize that, that this is very different. It, in effect, we're commandeering our own cells to become factories for a component of the virus so that then our immune system mounts a response. So it's almost like creating uh, an infection in every cell. Uh, am I am well, I it, oversimplifying? It, 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 we're at least causing a mosaic of cells to take up the genetic code to produce the spike protein or the buds on the surface of the virus. The spike protein is known to be the lethal component of SARS-CoV-2. So we are basically, through this form of vaccination, having a mosaic of cells be taken over, producing a potentially lethal protein, which was known to be potentially lethal at least since 2015. And in two papers by Menachary and colleagues as first author, Ralph Barrick as a senior author from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where they did use the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The title of the paper is Emergence of SARS-CoV-2 in Human Populations. They had worked with animals to humanize the respiratory mm -hmm. epithelium with a human ACE2 receptor in order to get the bat spike protein, which was genetically mounted onto the nucleocapsid in this hybrid virus to invade the human body. These were published in PNAS and Nature. These are available for your review. These are peer-reviewed papers. 
it was known that this spike protein could and would be lethal. And there are now well over a thousand papers on the injurious and lethal nature of the spike protein. So if you were to approach me at any time in my career and say, we're going to take the genetic code for a potential lethal protein loaded on lipid nanoparticles and then give an intramuscular injection of it and see if this works as a vaccine, I would say that's the worst idea from a biological perspective I've ever heard. And I published that in the summer of 2020. I published it in The Hill. And the title of the paper is The Great Gamble of the COVID-19 Vaccine Development Program. It and was for, for the, the gamble record, of a life. Uh, for the record, Dr. McCullough, as a physician in practice for many decades, uh, are you against vaccines? Are you an anti, so-called anti-vaxxer? Are you a, a proponent of, of other vaccines using other technologies? Or are you generally yeah, opposed? I've, I've broadly embraced vaccines. I've taken all the vaccines myself. My kids have taken all the vaccines. I've recommended the vaccines, uh, albeit with uh, considerable disappointment in recent years in adult internal medicine, including the, the uh, influenza vaccine, which mm-hmm. has had just terrible performance over time. Minimally the, effective. The, the, the 13-valent pneumococcal vaccine, which was just terrible performance, uh, recently published in JAMA, that had a 9% vaccine efficacy against hospitalization and death. I mean, I supported them uh, because the concept was is that they were reasonably safe outside of rare immune problems and uh you know this, they would have this population benefit so no i've always probably supported vaccines but when this was described to me and i read uh, about the plans for the vaccine and how it was basically even in the um Manicheri papers uh, you know the the SARS-CoV-2 virus was being developed alongside of a vaccine now the vaccine in the Manicheri papers was a killed vaccine, but they were clearly working on the threat and then the response to it, a vaccine. And through BARDA, the NIH division, and DARPA, the defense division, the United States government has programs. They actually have programs for uh, handling biological threats. So there's a SARS-CoV-2 program. There is a Aspergillus program. There's a monkeypox and smallpox program. Uh, there's an anthrax pro- program. Marburg virus program. So there are these programs out there. That's the reason why there was such a rapid mobility. I mean, that's the only way Moderna could announce three days after the emergency declaration for the pandemic. That's how Moderna could announce they had a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Because okay. these are part of development programs. And so these are, these are, in a sense, in many ways, it was ready to go. But I can tell you, it's a bad idea. It was a bad idea. I published it. I said, boy, this doesn't look good. It looks like it's probably not going to work because most intradermal, uh, intramuscular injections don't provide any significant respiratory coverage. Now, a nasal mist would have been something different, but a nasal mist wasn't developed. You know, we test for the virus up in the nose, and with a shot in the arm, there's absolutely no tractable reason why a shot in the arm would protect against the virus in the nose. Mm-hmm. And we quickly found out that it didn't. Papers by Chow, by um, uh, Acharian, Rimerisma, Acorsi, they found equal viral loads in the nose of those who are fully vaccinated right. and unvaccinated. The, the, the issue was it was going to stop the spread. It was going to reduce transmission. And people who were well, unvaccinated were thought to be super spreaders. They were pariahs because they were unpatriotic and not contributing to the vaccine well, I mean, eradication. You know, I, I never I never thought that, but 
con- other you know controversial doctors may have thought that I never <laughs> thought that and and uh, you know I can tell you that um, even in this interview you can see how I can name the first authors of these papers mm-hmm. I have never seen an interview with a public health official who ever cited right. a single paper well, ap- apropos right? of which, so, what do you think so, of our public so, health so. officials? We've had Dr. Oh, Birx, I mean, we've had Dr. Fauci, you. we've had uh, you know, now uh, you know, new officials, state officials, uh, who kind of lockstep uh, are in support of the vaccination program and the booster program. But, but, but they cannot cite the literature. And I can tell you, if I was controversial and if I was marginalized and if I was uh, discredited, I wouldn't be citing the literature, right? I, I wouldn't be able to do any of that. Mm-hmm. So only our top doctors can cite the literature and understand the scientific concepts and actually make a call before it happens. I said this vaccine development program was a gamble before it happened. That's well, very important. I, I Actually, I don't know another doctor who actually could do that or did in, do that. Indeed. Okay, folks, at this point, let's pause and allow one of our sponsors this opportunity to share a vital message with you. Here goes. This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Healthy Aging, providing you with the unique energy support of Pure NT Factor. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, whether it be age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor from Nutritional Therapeutics repairs damaged cells and restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half, and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years with a 45-day money-back guarantee of nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158. That's 800-982-9158. Or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. And now back to today's guest, Dr. Peter McCullough. What's the lesson of of the current situation where we have... um, you know, the uh, poster boy for COVID, uh, President Biden, who has seemingly uh, evaded a serious case of COVID. And, and he attributes it to the marvelous effects of his four shots. He's had, you know, the initial series and then he's had the boosters. He's boosted to the max. He received Paxlovid. OK, um, but, um, uh, you know, this is all attributed to the effectiveness of the vaccine and people so many people are getting sick these days and they say, well, I got COVID, but it was relatively mild. And that's because luckily I was vaccinated. Well, COVID, fortunately, with the Omicron variant, uh, it's mild for everybody, vaccinated or unvaccinated, even unvaccinated countries like Haiti. You know, they have COVID and it's mild. Mm-hmm. You know, they're unvaccinated countries. So, so COVID is now mild. Fortunately, President Biden had a mild case. <clears throat> but what we know is as we pointed out, the vaccines don't prevent someone from getting COVID. Certainly the Omicron variant, they don't. They don't stop spread. Our CDC has said that. There's equal viral load, loads in the nose. I mentioned the, the papers that show this. So the FDA says that the vaccines do not reduce hospitalization and death, right? So the FDA has never granted the vaccines a claim for that. That's important. So what we're down to is some type of attribution that people are giving to the vaccines regarding hospitalization and death. (coughs) What we know there is that even in June of 2021, there were large fractions of people being hospitalized that were fully vaccinated. Papers by by, um, 
Havers and um, I believe Finley from the VA both showed large fractures of people fully vaccinated in the hospital because they actually knew the vaccine status. What came what came out about that time was a false narrative is that it was a crisis of the unvaccinated. So that disagreed with the VA and the CDC studies. Mm-hmm. And this crisis of the vaccinated appears to be propaganda. Yep. And this is where it was generated from. Uh, the, elect- the major electronic medical mech- re- record used in the United States uh, is EPIC. EPIC has a default being unvaccinated. So unless people actually actively change that, that button to vaccinated in a sick patient, this patient can't do it themselves, it would be counted as unvaccinated. So hospital administrators and doctors, by not assiduously checking the vaccine status, and researchers, by not, not running uh, uh, not integrating the vaccine administration system with the hospital system, they actually erroneously declared mm-hmm. people in the hospital unvaccinated when in fact they were vaccinated. Wow. Now we know that because in other countries where they do fairly know the vaccine status, it was just the opposite. Canada, UK, Europe, South Africa, um, Australia, the vast majority of people in the hospital now for well over a year were fully vaccinated. So, so the US did well, it had to be wrong because of this attribution. And on top of that, uh, in the U.S., there's such an incentive to declare yes. a hospitalization. A monetary hospitalization. incentive, yes. There's unnecessary testing. So because uh, most of these studies, there's no adjudication for whether or not they have pulmonary COVID, they could be in for other reasons. Mm-hmm. And because the CDC encourages asymmetric testing, the CDC encouraged that the unvaccinated get tested more than the vaccinated, mm-hmm. we actually had over-testing mm. of those who are unvaccinated. Remember, if someone's had COVID six months ago, they're going to be intermittently positive for months. That's been shown mm. in the NIH data. So uh, invariably, large fractions of unvaccinated people were test positive in the hospital, but for other reasons, because they were uh, asymmetrically tested. And then finally, they're not randomized. There's never been a randomized trial showing that the COVID-19 vaccines reduce hospitalization and death as a primary endpoint. Never. So it's a clean sweep. There is, there are, it's an absolute truth that COVID-19 vaccination does not reduce hospitalization and death. And it's a false attribution of anyone to say that. And to make matters worse, it's a false reason to go out and get vaccinated. There's still to this day, the HHS has commercials that say, get a COVID-19 vaccine. It'll make your your syndrome less severe. Listen, I've just gone through the full breadth of data. Mm Mm-hmm. So what, what about we the have role is, of we have examples of these are examples of crude propaganda and in our book we basically declare that crimes are going on that there's some type of operation going on and the crimes are fraud and that's an example of fraud and then mass negligent homicide and that's the suppression of early treatment and the book once again is the courage to face covid-19 preventing hospitalization and death while battling the biopharmaceutical complex by our guest, Dr. Peter McCullough. And finally, what about the role of um, natural immunity from an infection? So many people have come down with COVID now. Uh, does Is that a good portent for the future of the pandemic? It, it is. But before we get away from vaccines, you know, we, yep. we covered the lack of vaccine efficacy, but we do have to mention vaccine safety. Sure. Uh, June 11th, 2022, there's a global recall of the vaccines by the World Council for Health. 
four major databases, uh, the CDC VAERS, the Yellow Card System, the Utah and the Vichy System, now are certifying 40,000 deaths after vaccine, shortly after vaccination, and a, a very large number of injuries and disabilities. And this goes on to this day. There's over a thousand papers in the peer-reviewed literature on fatal and non-fatal vaccine injuries. Official warnings from FDA on blood clots, heart damage, Guillain-Barre syndrome. Again, it's a clean sweep. The vaccines do not have an acceptable safety profile. Period. Yeah, I mean, Period. if not for all the furor over uh, COVID, uh, I think no vaccine in human history has been approved and has sustained. Uh, in the face of so many side effects, it, it really is quite amazing. Because if this would happen, say, with uh, the, the polio vaccine uh, or the diphtheria vaccine, uh, I think they would have rethought the whole thing. Well, typically, it's about a handful. And in the World Council for Health Pharmacovigilance Report, they give all the examples. Typically, it's a handful, more than 50, for sure. And then they have to understand something's gone wrong. 40,000 deaths that these vaccine safety systems are verifying, in fact, really happened, that's mass negligent homicide. That cannot happen for any product on the market, whether it's a pill, an IV drug, or a vaccine. You know, it, it, if there was a new pill out for diabetes and the companies reported in their safety systems 40,000 deaths, there's absolute positivity that it'd be off the market. 50 deaths, the companies voluntarily recall it. Now, they, under court order, Pfizer has revealed that they knew about right. 1,223 deaths after shortly after receiving the Pfizer vaccine. And the FDA tried to block that information to the public for 55 years. That's prima facie evidence of a cover-up. And especially since we're not facing uh, the zombie apocalypse, as was fear-mongered in the beginning of COVID, we're dealing with a much milder entity in uh, Omicron. So it, it really tweaks the risk-benefit equation towards uh, foregoing the vaccines and boosters. Well, we would never ask someone to come forward to a vaccine center and take a fatal injection. And we certainly wouldn't mandate it on someone to say, listen, you're going to lose your job or take a potentially fatal mm -hmm. injection. That's where we are right now. That's the reason why there's worldwide protest. That's the reason why in Europe they put up big uh, poster boards on the bridges of all the people died of the vaccine, so it can't be censored. That's the reason why people, every way they can, uh, try to warn each other through social media about vaccine deaths. That's the reason why, uh, you know, there, there is great, great concern going on worldwide that people are being asked to take what could be a fatal injection. Indeed. And so, and finally, uh, What's the implication of the fact that the vast majority of people, especially kids, kids now who are being asked to get vaccinated at the age of six or six months or a year, uh, have already had COVID. They've had mild cases of COVID. They've mm -hmm. recovered. Uh, mm -hmm. does, is that a, a good portent for the pandemic? Yeah, C CDC said through February that 75% of kids have already had COVID. Uh, the national estimates are for adults, even through October of last year, we, CDC said about half of adults have already had it. Now, at Texas Senate, uh, June 27th, 2022, as an example, the dean of the School of Public Health at University of Texas at Houston indicated the serial prevalence was 99%. We're mm -hmm. basically all we've been through it. Yeah. We've been through it. And so, a paper, important paper by Kimatelli and colleagues from Qatar has shown anybody who's previously had COVID has 97% protection against hospitalization and death with any future episode 
of COVID, no matter how severe the baseline disease is. That's far better than anything we have the vaccines. The vaccines right now at this point in time have negligible efficacy for any outcome. And the pediatric vaccines were approved on what is as little in the Moderna program as 4% vaccine efficacy. Mm-hmm. 4%. That was, the, that was the efficacy number for Moderna. <clears throat> Not statistically significant from zero. And I can tell you, minimum acceptance criteria for a vaccine is 50% protection yeah. for at least a year. Yeah. And the vaccines... So the vaccines never made they, it they moved the goalposts. In effect, they 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 made the criteria so loose under political pressure. Well, we don't know what pressure it was under. We really don't know. Uh, we can't. Th- th- there's no explanation, and there's no honesty. If they came out and said, "Listen, these vaccines are minimally protective, but it's in the best interest of the nation to do this. We want you to accept this," they could at least come out and mm-hmm. honestly ask for it. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure. It's actually, just. Yeah. At this point in time, no one really understands what is going on, and it's worldwide. It's not just the United States. Uh, A member of the EU Parliament, Christine Anderson, just came out yesterday and said the vaccines are the biggest biological catastrophe in human history. (laughs) Wow. Well, you've been very generous with your time and, and very forthcoming, and you certainly have an impeccable mastery of the scientific literature, plus a, a, a deep well of personal experience uh, dealing with COVID. And so uh, your, your views are very authoritative, and you can find them in the new book, The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. Uh you know, I, I want to extend my congratulations to you and, and a great deal of admiration for your courageous stand in the face of, uh, you know, often withering criticism. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, your, your views are beginning to prevail. And, uh, you know, thanks for sticking but up the for critici- the, cri- the criticism was always anonymous, and it never was from anyone of a position of authority. And mm-hmm. what you pointed out is I am authoritative. I am well cited, and the criticism uh, never w- could even be sourced. We don't even know who's expressed any criticism, if there really was any. So you're right. The views are mainstream, and uh, the issue is more people getting into the mainstream so we can get America on track. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.